Well, it's Tuesday once again. Mona, good to see you again. Likewise. Election day in Virginia. Okay, it is election day, um, and there's all kinds of hot takes that are going to be out there. Are there any races on the ballot today that you think are going to be particularly important or predictive? This is an off-year election. It is. It's an off-year election. So what are we looking at? Some people are seeing it as a test of whether... If uh, if Glenn Youngkin can succeed in flipping the House of Delegates, I think it is. It, I actually haven't even paid close attention. I'm one of those low information yeah. voters when it comes to Virginia. But mm, then, yeah. you know, he'll be set up for a possible late entry into the Republican race. That's total fantasy. Not that, that's over. Yeah, that's done. Happening. Right. I mean, that that what metaphor should we torture? <laughs> the, the that ship has <laughs> right. sailed. The train right, has left. Right. It's done. It's right. not going to happen. Obviously, the Virginia legislature, big sort of, you know, Virginia geeky politics. I'm really interested to see what happens in Ohio, the vote on abortion, to see whether or not that continues to be a salient issue. Kentucky, whether or not a Democratic governor, uh, Bashir, can actually win in a deeply red state. And there's a, and now that we're diving down here a little bit, there's a Supreme Court election in Pennsylvania that frankly will determine what happens to the abortion issue there. So these are consequential issues yeah. in, in numbers. And then, of course, in Mississippi, it has a governor's election. Yep. And abortion plays here, too. But, you know, it's, so it's funny. Like, you look at a, a race like Kentucky. Bashir, a Democrat in a very red state, has an approval rating of about 60%, Yeah, which yeah. is remarkable. You know, that's great. But does that mean that he's a shoe-in for re-election? Absolutely not. Mm. Because... Elections turn on who actually shows up. And so many people, when they vote, they separate who they're voting for, for what they think about the candidates. Kind of like, well, no, but yeah, I approve of the job the governor is doing, but I'm a Republican, so I vote Republican, you know? You could have your hot takes pre-written, say, on Kentucky. So if Bashir wins, it will be, this is the formula for Democrats to win in deep red states. Democrats still have a future. This is a signal to uh, Joe Biden, et cetera. Bashir goes down, it's like even a moderate Democrat with a high approval rating is toxic in a state like Kentucky. So you know that everyone's going to overanalyze these and hyperventilate about all of these. Can I tell you what how I'm going to vote in Virginia? Sure. I'm going to vote straight Democrat. Ooh. Yeah. Even okay. though, well, okay. So, mm. yeah, because... My overriding priority here is just to rebuke the radicalism of the Republican Party. That's it. So that's why I'm voting that way. Uh, I'm sure I'll wind up voting for a lot of people I don't like. But yeah, so are the, are the Virginia Republicans running as MAGA candidates? I mean, are they are they trying to separate themselves from MAGA? Is there any distinction? I there? haven't watched okay. the individual okay. races, but the fact no. is that in general, the party just needs to get whacked. It needs to get beaten all over the place. Well, speaking of hyperventilating punditry, which we're going to have a lot of tomorrow, we had a lot of it yesterday, actually still today, that New York Times Siena poll. Oh my, Mona, showing Trump leading in most of the swing states. Uh, Just a parade of horribles for Joe Biden. So I've talked about this I'm almost tired of talking about it, but Monique, what is your take? I mean, there's a lot of denialism out there. A lot of like, uh, I don't believe the polls or it's a year out and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you had David Axelrod and Bill Crystal saying yeah. time for Biden to go. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like 
rather dramatic reaction to one poll. So what was your reaction to that poll, other than despair and soul-crushing uh, depression? So you mean after I stitched up my wrists? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, the fact that that it should be even close or that there could be polls showing that the man that everyone in the world knows tried to subvert democracy in 2021 is actually in contention is just an indictment of us. Okay. So that you have to then say, okay, now what? And you look at the cross tabs in this poll. And, and so some of them are kind of revealing. I do think the most important things are that people think if you rely on the average voter to vote based on what's best for democracy rather than what's best for them personally. You're at, it's too heavy a lift, apparently. We'll see. Well, that's but always been true, though, probably, right? That's probably I mean, that's, always okay. been true. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and so yeah. there's that. Always so, been the flaw with democracy. <laughs> yeah. So people think that, that things were better for them personally under Trump than under Biden. So that's a big problem. And people strongly think that Biden is way too old. And It is shocking the disparity between the number of people who think Biden is too old, including Democrats, and the number who say that about Trump. Trump doesn't project that way. And of course, there's only a three-year difference between the two men, but it's all about how they present themselves and how they seem to voters. And it's it's just overwhelming that people think Biden is too old and too feeble to perform the job, both physically and mentally. So that's a big, big, big problem. But Let's look at the less dire side of things. And that is, so every poll tries to get a cross-section of people. Yeah, right. And this one, and and it's going to vary poll to poll. Well, this one was heavily weighted toward people who think of themselves as either conservative, very conservative. It was skewed. It was skewed. And so in a country as closely divided as ours, you have that kind of a skew, and it was something like 10 points, okay, in the, I'd have to go back and check, but it was something like 10 points. You look at that, that's that's going to throw everything off. And so maybe a lot of the both despair and rushing to conclusions is is premature. Also, when people say, well, Biden shouldn't, he should withdraw. I mean, look, there's a side of me that says, wow. He's being selfish. His decision to run for re-election when he's going to be 82 on Inauguration Day is just, he's putting himself above the interests of the country. And so there's that side of me. But then the other little voice on the other shoulder is saying, well, yeah, but I mean, if he were to pull out, the Democratic Party being what it is, would it put... Josh Shapiro or Gretchen Whitmer in there, or would it put, you know, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or Kamala Harris? Kamala Harris. So, yeah. no, okay. So before we get too far into this, because you know, every time we we bring up the age, we get the usual people saying, "You're helping Donald Trump. Why do you keep talking about this? Stop talking about this." Okay, so, you know, look, the person who's on the bow of the Titanic saying, "Hey, Captain, there's an iceberg ahead." is not rooting for the iceberg. There is a point at which we are warning, look, if you are heading toward an iceberg, do not ignore the iceberg. And I'm sure there are people saying, just stop talking about the iceberg. There is no iceberg. Or, you know, why are you rooting rooting for the iceberg? And, And I think that the key point, I really want to keep stressing this, is job number one 
next year is not just reelecting Joe Biden. The main responsibility of democracy, the main challenge is stopping Donald Trump, preventing him from getting back into the presidency. And so I look at Joe Biden in through the lens of this isn't about Biden. This is about stopping Donald Trump. If Biden is the best guy to do it, fine. If Biden is not the best guy to do it, in fact, if he's not the bulwark of authoritarianism, then let's stop, you know, pumping him up and fluffing him, you know, and saying he's the bestest president ever. Okay, so here's something where I think um, you and I have a disagreement. Mm -hmm. While I completely agree that it doesn't do anybody any good to pretend that the age problem is not an issue, I think it's probably the biggest issue, other maybe maybe second only to inflation. But I actually think that there is something Biden can do about this, which is that he can speak more. Mm-hmm. And I think when he speaks, he's he proves that he is not senile and uh, people need that reassurance and people. So so he should he should deliver it more. And in a controlled environment. Yes, in a controlled, in a environment. controlled environment. When he goes off the cuff. It's Grandpa Joe. Not always. So, okay, when he was giving that talk in Israel, not the one that he gave from the Oval Office, mm-hmm. but he was in Israel. So you have to assume mm-hmm. he was jet lagged and whatever. I mean, you know, flying over there. So he gives this excellent speech. And then at the end, he starts telling a story about Golda Meir. And my knuckles got a little white. And I thought, oh, no, is this going to be some like uh, not relevant story or whatever? Mm-hmm. And no, it was a really, really moving story where, you know, she said to him, Senator, this was, of course, a million years ago. But, you know, she said, Senator, we have a secret weapon. And that is we have nowhere else to go. So he told that story. It was clearly off script, but it was the right story to tell. So anyway, I think he is capable of doing this. And I I just think he is a little too scarce. I think people need to see more of him to be reassured. To listen to the rest of this episode of Just Between Us, become a Bulwark Plus member today. 